Good morning. Good morning. So uh, today we're starting the uh, series, and we're going to talk about how to respond to AI. Everybody's favorite thing. And what we have is an AI expert here with us this morning is Don Stice. He was kind of one of. The, were you one of the original guys that did this? No. No, but, <laughs> but he knows a lot about it. So we're going to work through the chair that he provided. And then I suspect that this might be one of those lessons that it might take two lessons to get through. And that's okay that we do that. So we want to have some understanding of this and also some appreciation for it. And then also have some respect for it as well, as we hear a lot about it in the news. So, Don, can we give Don a round of applause? Yeah. yeah. Okay. There you go. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, this is uh, going to be, I think, a, a very different sort of of uh, lesson today. Um, and actually draw some some pictures, some some mathematical stuff on the board. Uh, I believe that uh, that mathematics is a gift from God. And it's something that was created uh, by God. And if you are deeply into the study of mathematics, you see God's wisdom and the perfection of the things that he's designed for us. So uh, let's let's dive into, uh, go ahead. Could you give us just a little background about yourself? So those sure. Don't know you? Sure. So, so uh, again, my name is Don Stice. Um, I uh, uh, have been a member here at Messiah for, for many, many years, and I've worked as, uh, as an engineer for a long time. Uh, uh, when I first started working out of college designing computer chips, this was in the in the 80s. Uh, we were in sort of a, a period where artificial intelligence was a big deal, and we were designing neural networks. And so I was designing computer chips that were largely used by the military and by, uh, strangely enough, video games. Um, and, and we'll we'll talk about this hopefully later. You know, there is there is some. Some uh, interaction between game technology and, and artificial intelligence, but but I've been designing chips for a long time, and, and the the thing that that has happened in this field is there have been periodic sort of boom and bust phases, kind of like the oil industry. But uh, at, in the 80s, there was this boom in artificial intelligence technology, and then in the um, uh, mid uh, mid part of the prior decade. There was also a boom, and I, I went back to that field and, and was designing AI chips, the hardware, uh, largely for automotive and industrial applications. But the basic technology is the same between uh, the chat bots that everyone or you know, many people are familiar with and the sort of things that you would find in a, in a maybe a self-driving car or in a fancy photo application, you know, find me all the pictures of a cat and it returns you all the pictures of a cat that happened to be on your phone. Okay, so let's let's dive in. Um, the first thing, and, and uh, what I wanted to do was talk about some other pieces of software first, and and we can reflect on these as, as we're going into to more detail. Uh, we have a long history of, of using software for many different purposes. And uh, you know we use Excel, we use PowerPoint, uh, we use browser, you know internet browsers. If you do any sort of engineering work, you've probably been using software for for a long time. Uh, that in some ways is similar to the AI software. If I'm if I'm designing a computer chip or if a mechanical engineer is designing some part, we're to, we've been maybe in the last 20 years to the point where 
the less critical stuff can be handed off to the computer and it can design it. And the, the real engineer, engineering effort is put into the things that produce the highest value. And, and you can see that uh, people are sort of trying to maneuver the generative AI, the chat AI in a similar direction where the, the mundane things, uh, you know, maybe transcription of, of a doctor, you know, writing notes for a patient, uh, you know, the, uh, the mundane things might be done in some more automated fashion through the use of AI, but the high value things may, might be uh, done you know, manually by, by experts. So uh, again, you know, PowerPoint, Excel, uh, these, are, these are software tools that, that we use day in and day out. Uh, I've seen tremendous damage done though by these pieces of software, right? Uh, the, uh, the piece of software itself isn't bad, but, but, uh, I, I am aware of examples where somebody has, has created a fancy spreadsheet and then the whole company picks it up and starts using it and then, whoops, the original person didn't do the verification to make sure it was right and, and it ends up, you know, sometimes being a multi-million dollar mistake, right? You know, is that, is, is Excel evil? Uh, no, I, I, I think that, that uh, you know, it's our human nature sometimes that, that leads to, to poor outcomes, leads to evil outcomes. Uh, in, technology in general has, has this sort of, this uh, uh, maybe uh, uh, good or evil uh, question with it. You know, the Gutenberg uh, printing press, the invention uh, that uh, led to the um, you know, dissemination of, of lots of, of knowledge to common people. You know, certainly the, the most famous book that came off the Gutenberg printing press was the Bible, right? And this was an invention uh, in the 1400s. You know, all sorts of garbage has come off printing presses since. Uh, but the Gutenberg printing press in, in the mid 1400s, 1440, 1450 sort of time frame was followed roughly 100 years later by the Reformation. I, my personal belief is the fact that, that the printing press enabled the Bibles to be disseminated and, and get into the hands of more people, not just a select few uh, you know, clergy having access to a Bible on a daily basis, but getting the Bible into people's hands uh, was a major thing that led to the Reformation. So, so technology, uh, again, can be used for good, for good and evil. And, and let's keep that in mind when we dive deeper into the AI stuff. Um, so the... Um, the sort of basic thing that, that we do with AI, or the, the basic building block that, that underlies a lot of the AI, uh, is, is this function that, uh, if I, if I give the, the, uh, AI program some information, it comes back and tells you what it is. That's sort of the building block that's used with AI. And, um, that has a fancy name that's called a classifier. Because basically, if I give it some piece of unknown information, it comes back and tells you what that information is. That's that's the basic trick. And we have lots of technology around it that does these fancy things like like chat robots and and uh, you know applications that can you know remove people from the background of your photos. All those things, all those fancy things, are built on this this little fundamental uh, piece of of technology. Um, the the place where this came from, uh, strangely enough, was was uh, a desire to automate uh, some activities that happen in the the postal service. So in the 40s, uh, the mathematics was developed. In the 50s, people actually built hardware, and this this uh, has a fancy name it's called a perceptron. 
is a, this initial piece of artificial intelligence hardware from the 50s. And, and its t goal was to, to recognize handwritten numbers, maybe on envelopes or, or uh, you know, different uh, materials that are being mailed. Recognize handwritten numbers and use that to automatically uh, you know, route things to the correct destination. Uh, the mathematics that's underneath it is not all that complicated. And, and uh, I thought about uh, presenting it in the detail that I'm, that I'm going to and, and ultimately decided I should because I think that this is a well-educated well congregation. Uh, and I think pastors brought this up before, that, that we have uh, lots of uh, very smart people, and, and I think they, that there is a, enough of an understanding of, of basic math, particularly in this classroom, a lot of smart people in this classroom. You're also talking to seniors. Seniors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just, just let, me, let me check this. How many of you have, have had some exposure to statistics, either at work or in school? Right, you know, many of us have, right. You know, we've done statistics maybe in, in high school biology class or, or chemistry class or something where we're plotting numbers and, or, or maybe we've been exposed to it in work. Uh, so, so it's some statistics and some, sometimes uh, uh, what, uh, what this basic operation is called that underlies a bunch of the AI technology is, is fancy curve fitting or glorified curve fitting. And that's something that, that, um, uh, of course, makes the AI uh, people uh, a little bit angry when it's called that. But that's the truth. And, and at the end of the day, what we're doing is we're taking a bunch of, of data uh, that's called training data, and uh, we're developing a model internally inside the AI function that's used later to classify new things. But it, let, me, let me just draw a picture, and it'll be, uh, it'll be much more clear. So let's say we have... Uh, um, uh, some things that we're going to categorize later. We have a we have a type of thing called a thing one, one, and we're going to do those with with plus signs. And we have thing two, and uh, we'll do those with with dots. And we're going to collect some data, uh, put some data in uh, for the thing one type, and let's just put some some data points. Um, so we got we got some data points. Uh, and then let's measure some thing two types. I'm, I'm being kind of abstract in what I'm calling these thing one and thing two, but you know, it's some, for this simple, very simple example, uh, we've got some characteristic on this axis, uh, and we've got some characteristics on this axis. And let's say we are, uh, you know, measuring uh, or trying to identify different types of minerals, for example. So this axis might be color, this axis might be hardness. I'm just kind of making that up. But, but it's two, two parameters that describe uh, a material that that uh, we're going to try to classify later when we get some new ones. So, you know, the thing that we would normally do in this situation when we're given sort of a, a cloud of points is to fit a line to those. So this is probably what you've seen before in, in statistics or maybe biology or chemistry. So we can do a, we can fit a line to that, yeah, sort of like that, and maybe we can fit a line to this other thing, thing too. And of course, if you've had some exposure to statistics, all of a sudden alarm bells are going off in your head because there are so many ways that we can go wrong with statistics. You know, Mark Twain said there are lies, damn lies in statistics <laughs> because, because you, you really can, can create all sorts of mischief with statistics. Uh, but you know, if you know what you're doing and uh, you have the ability to, to test you know, test your hypothesis, you know, do st statistical work and then test those results, 
statistics can, can of course be a valuable thing. So here I've, I fit now two lines to to those two different types of data again. The dots correspond to thing two, and the, the, the crosses correspond to, to thing one. And what we would normally do at this point is either extrapolate or interpolate. We would either ask a question, you know, what happens if I observe something out here? You know, what, what are the characteristics of it if I go off the end of the line? Right, that's extrapolation. Or for some reason, what if I need you know, some data points here in the middle here where there was no data? and I can fill in some data points. That's, that's the normal stuff that we do is interpolation and extrapolation. Go off the end of the curve or, or look inside the curve. The, the neat thing that happens when we're doing AI operations, when we're doing classification, is we, we sort of uh, turn this around and we get a new point. So I've got a, a new mineral. Somebody gives me a new stone of some sort. And I plot its, uh, we said this was color and that was hardness. And I, I plot my new mineral, and maybe it ends up right there. So what we're going to do now is figure out which line this new point is closest to. Is it closest to that line, or is it closest to that line? And of course, you know, I, I happen to drop the point here closest to the line that we got from the regression of thing two. So we say, aha, that's a thing two. That's the fundamental trick in AI that all these fancy things are built from is this classification function. So I take in a new unknown thing and then I use uh, the regression that I performed on the uh, data that I set this up with. And that's what tells me what thing two is. Um, so this thing again is called uh, a classifier. This function uh, is at the heart of, of chat GPT and all these other things. Now. In, in practice, uh, we don't do this with just two dimensions and a handful of data points. You know, this is done with thousands of dimensions, and it's done with millions of data points. And if you look at, at the, 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 uh, the data that's consumed by GPT-4, which is the, is the current uh, thing that, that people are excited about with the AI, you know, it's, it's hundreds of billions of data points. It's just incomprehensibly large, you know, hundreds of billions of data points um, and a trillion parameters. So here we had four parameters, slope and intercept of our regression, slope and intercept of our, of our other regression for thing two. So four data points or four parameters, but, you know, a trillion parameters for something as complicated as, as GPT-4. It's astounding. So back, back to this calculation that's being done. So this calculation of which line I'm closest to that led to the classification, uh, that, that is something uh, that can be approximated only, you know, with only two operations. So we're doing this complicated thing, but at the end of the day, there's only two things that I have to know how to do. I have to know how to do multiplication, and I have to know how to do addition. This is all addition and multiplication in the end. And when we're designing these things, and we're trying to figure out if, if the design itself is correct. We do these things by hand, you know, pencil and paper. So, you know, a pencil and paper operation is, is the basis of these things that ultimately get built into these large systems. Um, it, it's uh, not some sort of mystical uh, operation that's happening. It's not something supernatural. It's at, at the basis of this is just addition, uh, multiplication, and some statistics. Um, one more one more comment on the uh, 
addition and multiplication. It turns out that that addition and multiplication is very conveniently expressed as matrix operations, and I'm not going to draw up the matrix operations, but, but matrix operations are at the, at the core of, of this. If, if you know, you have studied maybe in high school matrix operations. The, the interesting thing, um, was that when it, in the latest wave of, of artificial intelligence, the interesting thing is it turns out that they, there were already special computers that were designed just to do matrix operations. And, and those machines happen to be uh, GPUs, graphics processing units, that of course are used in games. Because it turns out that, that the, the fancy graphics operations are also very compactly represented as matrix calculations. So, so the, the widespread availability of, of GPUs that a lot of us have in our, in our personal computer or even our laptops these days uh, made it very easy to do these sorts of calculations for AI. So that's, that's one of a couple things that happened in the, in the early 2000s uh, sort of time frame that have, has led to the explosion in this technology. The other thing, of course, is we all have, we all have the internet. We have this huge amount of data that can be used to train the networks. And, and uh, I apologize, I didn't mention that earlier. This, this, this term, the terminology for fitting these things in the context of AI, where I'm, where I'm taking the data in and I'm defining the parameters, that's known as training. And when you uh, look at what's being used to train the large uh, AI models that are used for uh, chat GPT and other, other things, uh, they're literally just taking the raw data from the internet. And that raw data is being, is being fit to, to set up these, these parameters. Um, one last thing on this, uh, you know, with statistics, of course, you can get into lots of trouble. I mentioned earlier, uh, the, um, you know, what if I don't pick the right amount of, of training data? What if, what if I didn't have, have the right number of, of points? And what if I was, I just didn't have enough data? You know, uh, I, I might, let's try a different one. I might, you know, have a curve. Oops. That's the invisible curve. Uh, you know, I might have a curve that looks like that, right? There are all sorts of pitfalls, and you can have insufficient uh, number of data points. You know, maybe, uh, you know, it gets so bad that you start, uh, you know, confusing which things you have. Uh, you, might, you might actually have data that, that's not linear. You might have data that has a higher order uh, function that's necessary to represent it. Um, and, and there actually is now a specialty where uh, where people look at the data and ensure or try to ensure that the the best possible representation of that data is in this classification function and that 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 discipline is a data scientist I think it's a relatively new uh, uh, field uh, a job that that people have is is you know to, to look at the data that's part of their job is to to look at data and make sure that that things are are uh, representable in a in a machine learning or an AI application. Let me see if I've I've missed any of the missed any of the the points here. Okay, so that's that's the uh, the classification piece of this. Um, the the other piece of this, which uh, is is I think equally responsible for for the fantastic things that we we see AI doing, is um, is 
has to do with, with using uh, productively other people's effort. So if 30 years ago, if I, if I was at a company and I was going to write some big piece of software, we would write the whole piece of software, right? It, it, uh, you would keep all the software inside the company and you would write these large, large applications. Maybe you would buy some specialized library for the piece of software. But um, the, the typical mode uh, that people use now when I'm designing an application is to reuse things that people have already done. There's a tremendous amount of, of sharing of software, either open source software or you know, software that's not open source but still is, is widely available to other people. And you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, sometimes you'll see these diagrams, and I, I drew one in there. But you see these diagrams with stacks of, of software, and they, they are called stacks. And these things are called layers, and maybe one layer uh, you know, is the actual hardware itself, the CPU. And I'm sorry, this is getting a little bit more technical. But you know, hardware, maybe you'll have an operating system, maybe you'll have some language, maybe you'll have a, a runtime uh, or a chat function, and maybe you'll have some context that's keeping track of everything you said. So these, these layers uh, dramatically improve the productivity of, of a company or, or an individual that's writing software because I can leverage work that, that hundreds, maybe thousands of other people are doing across the world. If somebody has already written an operating system, you know, like Linux or Android or something, I can pick that up and use it right away to build my product. I don't have to spend, you know, a thousand man years of effort to, you know, to produce that piece of software. That's a tremendous labor savings. Or, you know, same with the language. If I, why invent a new language if I can use a language that, that somebody else has, has developed? And, you know, similar for these, these other pieces. Um, that's fantastic uh, for, for getting software out quickly because then what happens is if I'm writing some new piece of software, then I only have to work here at the top of this. I don't have to, to, to reinvent the wheel for these lower things. Um, and I, I look at this sometimes and, and, uh, and, and think, you know, have we, uh, have we just invented another way to, to work around the Tower of Babel problem? You know, is this, is this, is this God-pleasing? Um, you know, we, we built the Tower of Babel, all spoke the same language, and then, you know, God was, uh, uh, you know, provided some, uh, some challenges to us uh, to work, work around all the problems of language that we have. And uh, with this sort of arrangement, basically, we can get around the Tower of Babel problem because all we need to know is our next neighbor's language. All we need to know is our language, and we need to know the language of the layer below us. And if we can do that, then everyone can grow, and we can create these more and more complicated things. I, I have no idea if this is God-pleasing or not. This is actually not that dissimilar from from an assembly line. You know, uh, Henry Ford uh, and the assembly line. You know, for the original you know construction of the cars, where one group does one thing. And then uh, the next group maybe puts the wheels on the car, and the next group puts the steering wheels on, and so on. You know, it's it's very similar idea. So, yes. Question: um, With that chart up there right now, it seems like there's a great deal of exposure though for using um, software and other yeah. things that have been created by others because of mistakes. Yes. Or maybe not even mistakes, maybe purposeful thing. So that is, for me, a concern. I don't know. Oh, that's an excellent point. No, I, th I think your concern is, is well-founded. Um, 
And in different types of, of AI applications, um, all this stuff is, is very well vetted and studied. You know, if, if I'm building an application maybe for a robot in a factory that's using AI maybe to rec recognize something coming down a conveyor belt or something in the automotive world maybe that's recognizing stop signs or, or pedestrians, it's a very different set of software here uh, that has been very carefully uh, checked and, and is known to be known to be safe. But out in the wild, if I'm again using Chat GPT or or some more general purpose piece of AI, there there is not much. And so I think there are some questions that we need to ask um, about these different layers of software. You know, where do they come from? Uh, you know, if, for instance, if the if the piece of software came from China. Um, uh, or, or a government, right? Right. I mean, there, there are, there are questions about correctness. Is the software doing what it said it should do? Is the software, uh, maybe spying on us? You know, if every, every question or, or operation that's coming in from the, the chat window is going through all these layers, you could siphon off interesting information and, uh, you know, send it to China or, or, or back to the FBI or CIA or something. So, yeah, I think that, that we should, um, we should ask a few questions. You know, is, is it is it is the layer itself correct? Uh, you know, where does it come from? And then, uh, what kind of safety is built into it? If it if uh, if I'm doing something that the hardware can't support, you know, will it gracefully, uh, you know, give me that information, or will it it make up something and and or lock up or something like that? So I I think that that uh, it's it's a it's a big problem. Again, it's a it's um, it's a problem that we create, though. It's not anything inherent in in um, using layered software. Uh, it, humans are writing the software. Humans either are are foolish or evil, and and can corrupt uh, the operations that are that are being done. Because it's updated. Yeah, yeah. So that that's actually a strength and a weakness. So, you know, the way that this works, if if you haven't been exposed to it, is is there are more or less contracts between these layers. Right? There's a contract that the language is going to do some operation on behalf of this block that's gathering all the context of a of a conversation, uh, and that again is an API. And 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 one way to think about an API. Um, is that it's a it's a set of instructions that um, that are used uh, for the next layer down to do its operations. And uh, one example would be uh, driving a car. Okay, uh, you know we go we sit down in a car. We know there's going to be a brake pedal. We know there's going to be an accelerator. We know there's going to be a steering wheel. It doesn't matter what model of car you get in. It doesn't matter if it's a gasoline car or an electric car. Uh, you can still operate a car it, because you have that understanding of how to do it, and that understanding uh, works across all models of cars. The same thing is true here with the API. I, I can change out the inside, and as you were saying, I might get updates here. That doesn't change the API. I still call it the same way, and it, it's good or bad. Right? In most cases, it's good. Somebody is updating this layer or changing it out, uh, maybe because they're fixing a bug of some sort, and that's not a global, I don't have to redo everything. I just fix what's in the block, in that box, and go on. Yes, Martin. It's a similar thing um, with AI being used in self-driving cars. 
Oh, of course. Yes. It's a key technology in self-driving cars in a couple ways. Uh, the, the most fundamental is this kind of AI technology, in particular the classification thing I talked about, uh, is, and I, I probably should have brought a, a video or a demo or something, but, you know, recognizing the objects either in front of you or off to the side of you. Um, you, know, you know, if you're driving up to an intersection, it'll recognize, oh, I've got a stop sign, or I've got a traffic light and the traffic light is red or it's yellow or it's green. Those are all AI classification functions. Um, and then there is another sort of more sophisticated set of AI operations that are doing things like if I notice a bicycle next to me, predicting where that bicycle is going to go. It, you know, is the bicycle going to swerve? Is it going to try to go across in front of me? So yeah, it shows up uh, in a lot of places uh, in, in uh, automotive technology. And again, in robotics also, in, everywhere, uh, you will see use of AI technology. Um, next up. Yeah. I don't want to derail you, so I, you can answer this whenever, but I have a question, like how do we, with all these data points being fed in, how are we going to safeguard ourselves from them collecting it and then it compromising our own personal security as far as banking, everything? Yeah. Um, like, because it's collecting all of it, it knows everything, it is a spy, you know, in that sense, because it's collecting it and making profiles for all of us. Uh, how do we safeguard ourselves because it's going to be so incorporated in our to our day to day we can't avoid certain yeah, aspects yeah. of it so I, I i think this is more advanced the conversation has gone on longer in europe than it has here i believe in europe there are some safeguards uh with respect to the collection of data that can be used for ai training and i, I think we're going to get there here i mean i i also think that that it's probably wise for us to have some some safeguards also on the output of this. Uh, I think that uh, you know, just like you know, we label GMO foods, uh, I, I think that that maybe there should be some sort of labeling or watermarking or disclosure that that content is being produced by AI because I, I think you need to treat AI generated generated information differently than than uh, human generated. Information. Of course, we can be deceived by people too. And people can say horribly inaccurate or wrong or evil things. Um, but uh, I, I think that it, it's there. There are uh, you know pitfalls in AI where I think it's always going to be useful to know, uh, and and we have to use our judgment uh, if we want to believe something that's coming through AI or if it's. Uh, something that we are going to choose to to ignore or, or you know more actively try to uh, to avoid. So. Pastor, you want to help us some in in the area of discernment? No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, first of all, thank you. Wow. I'm missing this somehow. Here. I have a question. Yeah. Like you have all the boxes up there. So if you were a developer, you're going to create some over here. Access to delete all those boxes. Yes. Is that free? Do you have to? So depending, depending on the boxes. Okay. Yeah, it can be free. So buy in this basement. Because you can write the you know a billion dollar a year piece of software just layering on top of the work that other people have done. 
So, so I have a question with that then. Um, so then you're pretty much um, beholden to whether that guy in the, in the basement is like, is he an anarchist or, you know, I mean, in the, some sense of what is his motive and does, is he angry at the world and, or, I mean, in other words, what sort of checks and balances are, th are built into that process that would ferret that out? Maybe that's a little bit of what discernment is, but um, is there something that's built into it way before it is put out there? So, yeah, yeah there are different classes um, of end products. Yeah. Or something industrial or military or medical. Uh, yeah, there's, there is a, a lot of disclosure. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to sell a piece of software that does that. Okay. Peer review or So when he was talking about the chat PT um, a program, did you all know what he was talking about? Okay, you want to explain what that is? Yeah. So we've heard some things about ChatPT, for example, um, um, educators being concerned that uh, students are using that to write essays. Instead of their doing their own essays, they're using ChatPT. Um, there was even an example of a church in Germany that uh, AI put together the sermon and the service, and then everybody came to the service, and they said it was one of the most inspiring sermons that they had ever heard. <laughs> I thought I got to get in on that deal. So, so, but so it's just it's it is a it's it's a collection of all that is done. Explained it to me so well is it's a collection of all the data in the world available on the internet. So that includes. Um, uh, uh, knowledgeable things, that includes opinions, that includes um, blogs that people write about stuff, opinion, everything is all gathered together, right, am I saying this right? And then it's all presented as as legitimate. It's all presented, maybe, it does, I don't know that it uses words like truth or untruth, that's kind of our words, but it's presented as legitimate. And so the issue then from a human perspective, and probably we can move into to talk a little bit about discernment, is that the more we as humans become dependent on something else doing our thinking for us, then we, over time, uh, either uh, sort of relegate that to whatever's doing the thinking for us, but we lose the art of it. We lose the practice of it. And we lose or at least defer in some way the practice of it to something else that will do that for us. And there is a tendency um, among humans is to look for the easiest way to do something and the most fun way to do something. 
as opposed to doing it the sort of time-tested way, which is, um, you know, I got to think it through and I got to process it and put together my argument and all that kind of stuff. That's discernment thinking. But the concern is, is that over time, something else will do that for me instead of me doing that for me. And then the question becomes, what is my basis or what is my my grounding filter through which I run everything to determine is it is it true or is it not true? Is it good or is it evil? Am I saying this right? Yeah, yeah see, I listened to you the other day. That was really good. <laughs> so, so that's the part that I think discernment plays into this, and that's kind of the direction that I was thinking we should go. Thank you, Melinda. We're going to have a wonderful staff meeting tomorrow. It'll be so good. Isn't that fantastic? Kids are excited about Sunday school. Isn't that great? Yeah, we should march on them, don't you think? Yeah. Yes, Donna. I'm married to Donna is married to Donna. Highly intellectual. Highly intellectual being, yes, he is. Yeah. I think it comes back to me. The easiest way for me to deal with this yeah. is, um, like, as a nurse when I work as a nurse. Okay. Yeah. Did a lot of things without machines. Yes. Then all of a sudden, machines came there, and you might have a machine on some of and Yeah, monitors. Yeah, monitors, yeah. and it might be alarming because mm-hmm. the child's not breathing. Right. But look at the child. Mm-hmm. You know, the machine is a nice. You still have to you still have to think it through, and the question is, what what would be the incentive for me to do that if there's somebody or something that can do it faster? Well, that's the thing. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Okay, so so that's an issue of discernment. Then is how do I how do I figure that out? And then am I able to tell the difference between what is AI generated and what is actually generated. That's the other thing is they're running into some of that now with um, fake ID stuff and uh, um, so deep fake kind of stuff I think is what they describe that as. So we can't see now that's interesting that we can't be so trusting. So you wonder if the whole idea of trust will take a hit because of the fact that maybe we were a little naive with our trust and maybe we can't be that anymore. Yeah, Chris. I think the most important question for any of us that's 50 or over is how do we make sure that the Terminator doesn't show up on our doorstep? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're a long way from your sentience, right? This is data incorporated, yeah, right? That's AI right. is only as smart as the data it has. That's right. So it's not creating. If you ask it to write the next great novel, it can only incorporate that's what right. it has. That's but still, what is what does that gap look like? You want to answer that one? I Yeah. <laughs> I think that there there is good reason to fear this technology being used in the military 
You said never automate sharp things. Yes, that's like the old saying of don't run with that. It'll put your eye out. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I hope that, that sentiment is, is widespread. Yeah. 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 Looking beyond the speed. I think we've been doing this all our lives. If I had to write an essay in high school and I'm, I go look at somebody's book, yeah. I've got to look at that book like you suggested through the lens of the author. So yeah. even if I was citing the encyclopedia, mm -hmm. I'm still using what somebody else has already done yeah. and I've got to decide, is the book that somebody wrote on but I'm not an autobiography, but a biography on somebody. Yeah. What was in their mind when they wrote it? And was it, is it all true? Yeah. So it's, we're not doing, I don't think we're doing anything new except speeding up the process of deception. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. Speed. Yeah, we're doing it better. Yeah, right. Well, it's getting easier to do it and then, and then nobody can tell that you're doing it, right? Yeah, and that's that's again this aspect of gathering data in the sense that it's all legitimate, even if it's not true, it's all legitimate. And 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 AI does not make a judgment about that. It just says here it is, and then we have to be still the ones that make a judgment about that. Am I am I going to base my well-being in life on that without discerning? I I would have a hard time doing that. So back back to the Repetition is truth. So, so the more that it's out there, then the more likely it'll be presented as truth. See again, the, this is very unsettling to me. I don't know if it is to you. It's very unsettling to me. But we have to be unsettled in order to think in terms of okay, how do we? How do you respond to it? Uh, because responding to it is both a practice of. Um, thinking something through, which is discernment, um, at the same time that we don't want to burn it down, right? You go into reactive mode and then you're going to burn it down. Yeah, Eddie. Uh, I know this was talked to our engineer on the front of the telephone, so uh -huh. you hear the saying, if you think you're out with you, you're out with you. Garbage in, garbage out, yeah. And, uh, and kind of that's what I'm afraid of, uh, the AI is really going to bring it Mm -hmm. Because the internet they thought is full of God. Yeah. Full of history, you know, lies yeah. and sure. Uh, That's not all of that, but a lot yes, of it is here. Yes. And mm -hmm. as as time goes by, more and more you get on the same internet and, and this just this just somehow knows it is from Yeah. Yeah, you know one of the things I think that's interesting to me is 
the generational difference between how we in our age era look at this and how those guys back there along the wall look at it. I have a nephew who's uh, 30, so he would fit into that 30 and under group. He's excited about this. And so I sat down with him one time. I said, his name is Paul. I said, Paul, like, what do you, what do you think about this? And his answer was, well, I think the good that it does will far outweigh the evil that it does. I thought, man, I got to have more conversations with you. <laughs> right? But, but that's a, that's a whole different viewpoint. It's a whole different perspective. And in some ways, maybe the kids of today will be better, uh, equipped in terms of how to, manage it, but again, I, I'm kind of concerned at a deeper level about the aspect of what's the basis that you're looking at to, or the standard you're looking at that's going to determine not just the uh, repetition of something as truth, but the actual truth of something as truth. Because at the end of the day, absolute truth is absolute in the sense that I'm going to put my my well-being and my my spiritual life and my future with God and all that stuff. I'm going to put that in the hands of something that's actually true, not just true because it was repeated 10 million times. And knowing the difference is significant. I think that and we're going to close for today, but this is not the end of our topic, right? Um, I think that at the end of the day, we have an important role to play in terms of not just identifying truth, but defending it and standing up to those who would say there is no such thing as truth. Truth is not just repetition. Truth is truth because God says it is. And and we have to we'll have to stand for that. We'll we'll probably take some hits on that, but but we have to do that because the alternative is uh relativistic truth, which is well your truth and my truth and you go with your truth and I'll go with my truth. Okay? So can we thank Don again for this? Awesome. Awesome. This is fantastic. And if it scares us a little bit, good. You know, a little unsettling. I'm, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm going to go home and turn off my computer. That's what I'm going to do. So, so we'll, uh, so next week I'm not here. Um, I'm just taking a week of vacation. So Matt Lee is going to come lead the class. And then what we'll do is when I come back, then we'll, we'll, so you got two weeks to let this percolate in your brains, okay? And we're going to go a little bit deeper in terms of the discernment side of things and then how do you coach it with other people and that sort of stuff. Will you be able to come back? Oh, good, thank you. All right, let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together today. Thank you for for the fact that technology is it, it's a thing, Lord, but it, it's something that um, it, it's a gift from you. It's just that Human beings can take gifts and really mess them up. Human beings can take gifts and do amazing, wonderful things with them. So help us, Lord, in our lives as we respond to uh, the uh, the enormity of this. Help us to use it for good. Help us to, to use it in such a way that promotes your love for uh, everyone through your son, Jesus, and that it is not just a Tower of Babel, but, but it's something that actually can be a, a, a gift and a tool in sharing the, the gospel with, uh, with the world. So help us be a part of that, Lord. Help us walk in courage and, uh, and, and in faith, knowing that uh, at the end of the day, you're in charge and that uh, your grand plan for us is that we all end up someday in heaven. 
So watch over us this week, dear Lord, and uh, be with us until we're together again. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.